When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are one week away from Penn State Purdue, so your questions at the top of your mind about Penn State football, the coming festivities, all of that on the BWI Daily Edition. It's the mailbag today featuring Greg Pickle. We'll get to it here on the BWI Daily Edition. DWI Daily Mailbag, one of my favorite shows of the week because we get to sit back, relax. None of us have any hair. We put our hair down, though, and uh, talk about football. What's on your mind? Greg Pickle here with us because Nate Bauer decided that apparently Greece is a better place to be than central Pennsylvania. Greg, I don't get it. Yeah, no, me neither, T. Frank. But hey, hope he has a good trip. And uh, we're here and we're excited because it is seven days until football is back, T. Frank. Actually, no, it's like... 48 hours until college football is back, but seven days until Penn State is back. So we've made it through the slog of winter and spring and summer. And here we are. I'm ready to be ready to get to it. Yeah. What are you what do you before we get to the daily a couple things I do want to get to. uh, What are you looking at this weekend? What's the game that is most intriguing for your eye? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, I think that we all remember whether you were there, whether you watched it on TV, Penn State going to Dublin. It's a really interesting game for the players, for the fans over in Ireland. It starts at 1230 on Saturday, which gives us all that little tease. And then obviously, there's not as many games on throughout the day this Saturday compared to what we'll be experiencing next Saturday. But that one has my eye. Scott Frost is fascinating to me and kind of the mess that... uh that he has been going on, they're dealing with at Nebraska most of what is most of which is his own doing, of course. But that's a big one to me, T. Frank. And then I, I just think that point spread's a little bit high. It's almost two touchdowns in favor of the Cornhuskers, and we know what Pat Fitzgerald is capable of. Northwestern's defense is terrible, but the offense looks okay. So I'll have an eye on that for sure. Yeah, we need to get. Uh, we have not gotten our gambling show yet this year we need to get our betting show going with you and with ryan because i know you just said a bunch of really smart things but they went right over my head and everyone else was paying attention we just need to get uh we need to get that show going for the year we'll have that coming up hopefully soon um but what we have today is we have the bwi mailbag so let's get into that and then we'll get to some other things as we get throughout the show some other things i want to touch on outside of the questions from our listeners As always, the BWI mailbag, the easiest way to get in, the easiest access is through bluewhiteillustrated.com. It's a dollar to sign up. You get 12 months of access. You get 12 months of Greg Pickle writing interesting things, giving you breaking news, reporting on stuff. You get Nate Bauer and his inside information, Ryan Snyder recruiting. I have some film stuff and I got some jokes, I, I guess. I, I bring a lot to the table, Greg, is what I'm trying to say. That's right, T-Frank. Uh, no question about that. Sign up for a dollar, and then you can uh, you can get your questions on the mailbag the easiest way, although we do take some from Twitter. And just so everyone knows, uh, you'll see these questions, and if you watch the show, you'll see some of the familiar faces, our regulars that ask questions. They're in alphabetical order for the most part. I, I don't choose favorites when, when we're doing the show. So Beaver Man is, it goes first because it's a beaver. Uh, it's a bee, bee uh, Beaver Man 72. Really stumbled over that transition do better that's okay we're there we're here <laughs> uh in 2021 season Arnold... for us too t frank real preseason <laughs> for us too buddy uh let's see what does he have to say uh beaverman 72 says in 2021 arnold emikidi uh, accounted for nine and a half of the team's 26 sacks the next lowest sack total was 31 in 2014 if you exclude covid uh, in 15 through 19, the team sack numbers were in the 40s. Man, he did his homework on this question. Do yes. you anticipate the sack numbers getting back into the 40s this year? And is it more likely to be a group effort or will someone like Adisa, Adisa Isaac, have to play the Arnold Ebikidi role this year? Greg, I'll let you go first. What do you think? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think we can remember that Penn State at one point had, I think, a three-year total number of sacks, T. Frank, that led the country in terms of total numbers. So, yeah, they were very good there for a while and it's dropped off a little bit. Can it get back to 40? You know, I think obviously that's a very high number to reach. And when you go into a season with a guy like Adisa Isaac, who's back off of injury, and I think we all know what he's capable of, but how soon is he ready to make that kind of an impact He's going to be a starter for all intents and purposes, but is he ready to get back to the place he was prior to getting hurt? We're going to have to wait and see that. I mean, this defensive line between a T Frank does not have a lot of sacks to its name. And especially that's the case at defensive end. PJ Mustafer, of course, very successful at defensive tackle. Smith Gilbert does have three, but all in one game, all in a, I don't want to say it's not a scrimmage, but obviously Arkansas, just like Penn state had some players not in that game. So yeah. Can he build on that form? I'm going to go with no. I think they can get in the ballpark, but I'm not ready to, I think, project them to hit that 40 plateau mark yet. It'll take a lot. So that's it. It'll take. It'll be a group effort to answer the question. If they do get there, it'll be a group effort. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So we've seen flashes and we've talked about Adisa Isaac for a couple of years now as an up and coming defensive end, but we really don't know in deep detail what sort of, skills he has we know he's fast that's what we know but what else can he do just being fast isn't enough so i i can't project arnold abikiti because we saw him even at temple be a dominant figure at that level and produce and do it in a way that you saw had a great chance of translating so we did have some evidence to see arnold abikiti coming a lot of people thought he was a great transfer to penn state and the penn state got a steal there um I don't know that we have that information with Adisa Isaac other than his recruiting pedigree. The other part of it, you know, to get to 40 and you say a group effort means that deny Dennis Sutton and chop Robinson all contribute, right? Because part of Arnold Ebikiti getting nine and a half sacks is that everyone else, when it came to pressures, like looking at PFF and their pressures, nobody got over 13 and that was Brandon Smith, a linebacker. So right. yeah, it has to be a group effort this year to get back to that. But do you think with Manny Diaz's new scheme, it seems like they're focusing on that. So that's a, a big part, too, is that they're going to focus on that, unlike the last year or two, where they focused more on contain and rush contain. You think that's a fail? Yes. I do. And I think the important thing to note here is that we heard all offseason about how aggressive Manny Diaz wants to be and that they're emphasizing takeovers and things like that. And T. Frank, I think you're probably going to agree with this, but they have the horses in the secondary to really turn up the pressure and be that takeaway machine. But they're going to need help from up front. And we just don't know everything we need to know about the horses they have there yet. We think it looks good on paper. There's been some encouraging reports out of uh, preseason camp and also spring practice. And obviously, uh, when you go back to some of these guys recruiting, they were very good at pressing and pressuring the quarterback. But, yeah, I think you feel good about the turnover part of Manny Diaz's emphasis in preseason camp being something they can accomplish. But when it comes to the defensive line and high sack totals, I, I just am not quite ready to jump that far ahead just yet yeah i agree with that and and that's really to me that's my biggest question about this defense and that's been other than the the risk reward of playing so aggressively tying into that idea to me is can you get that pressure can you get quality pressure continually because despite the fact they didn't have a lot of guys last year that that could get after the quarterback reliably they had one guy that was great at it and that was kind of a a saving grace for that defense so they have any version of that this year because they'll need it you can only scheme up pressure so many ways before the other team can take advantage of that and you need a guy just to win his block uh next question is from caesar we often hear of teams that run behind the left side of their offensive line or the right if one side is particularly strong, he does not recall PSU doing that in the eighties or nineties. Do you think that Penn state's decision to line up Olaf and Landon Tangwall on the same side on the left side, left tackle, left guard indicates a desire to have a dominant left side to run behind, or is this an example of preseason wishful thinking? I think it has more to do with pass blocking. Truthfully, like you put your best pass blockers on the left. They are the two best athletes. So, they're going to pair together and they've got the longest timeline to be together. So you can gel those two for a while. Does that make sense? 
It does. Yeah. I read this question. And I immediately thought, well, this is one for T Frank. I'm just going to stay out of the way and let him <laughs> answer this one with the expertise that he has. But no, I think you're hundred percent right. And ultimately uh, you know, it's important to keep in mind that when Penn state set out to put together a 2022 offensive line, it felt the need to add a body there in Hunter Norzad. And it didn't know completely. Now we keep hearing that Sal warmly is back to the form he was in prior to this off field injury, which you know, if that's the case, and, and we don't know, because quite frankly, T. Frank, do you remember Sal Warmly being talked about as a starter prior to uh, whenever he was hurt last year? Because I do not, but they certainly believe it very deep down internally. Yeah. And so if that's the case, you know, obviously, I think they feel really good about the line, way the line uh, lines up uh, left to right. But yeah, you know, I think there's probably another aspect of it, too, that as we saw, I believe it was against Rutgers, you know, Landon Tangwall can play tackle if needed, if, you know. Unfortunately, something would happen to Olu Fashanu or what have you. So, and he'd probably be on that side of the line. So, I think yeah. that probably plays some kind of factor in it as well. Yeah. Uh, what I remember from last year is that our Nate Bauer was doing some reporting at the end of camp around the time that Salim Wormley was injured, that, you know, he was going to be the first team offensive guard, got injured. And that, but before then, the battle was still going on at that position. And I don't think that we had had any indication about that. Um, so this question is interesting in kind of the layers of it, Greg. Um, there's a lot of traditionalism in football. And at least as far as I understand this, and I, I don't know if this is the way you grew up learning football was the right side of the line was your run blocking side. So you had your dominant run blockers at right guard and right tackle. Your pass protectors were on the left side. You wanted to have your athletic guys over on that side because the quarterback's blind side. And you wanted to run to that, you know, kind of your personnel. That's how you're setting it up. If you've got one dominant run blocker at tackle, you want to put them on the right side because the blind side is the left. The quarterback can see it coming on the right side. The reality is now there is there's just absolutely no way you can have a pass protector on the right side that doesn't hold up. There are too many athletes in space now. There are too many edge defenders. So that kind of traditionalism of left versus right, there is still some of that in terms of if you're going to weigh X versus Y and you don't have elite players on both sides, you will go, I think, with that. But if you want to be successful, your right tackle has to be able to block Chase Young because nobody's sticking their elite pass rusher at one spot anymore. You, they, We've gotten smarter. We realize if you're throwing right. the ball the worst blockers on the other side. Right. And so the other thing too, is that now the pressure just comes from everywhere. I, I mean, when you mm -hmm. look at, so, you know, when we talk about the eighties and nineties and what was going on then compared to now, I mean, it's night and day. The schemes have advanced. The players are bigger. They're faster. They're stronger. They come from more parts of the field. They have yep. more ways to disguise that. It's still 11 on 11, of course, and you've got to win against your guy, no matter who it is. But yeah, the way things operate now have certainly changed dramatically. Uh, so to try and compare errors, I think, is even very difficult at a number of positions. Uh, yeah. And this is just one of the reasons why. Yeah, and there's there's so many things that I, I could go into kind of depth about this particular idea and these layers of football. I don't want to say misconceptions, but just kind of updating your your knowledge about the game that that always tie in. But I love questions like this because it makes you think about history and where we've come. Because you're right, we're playing a different game in a lot of ways where you're in a shotgun 60% of the time now. Right. Uh, you know, the, the teams that play a traditional I formation are in the minority. Um, before we get to For the Glory, I want to make sure we get to this because the season is coming up very soon. It's a week to the first game, but then after that, it's the home opener. And if you have been looking for a reliable source of Penn State football tickets, is that you? Have you been looking for that? Well, I have something to tell you. Jim at TixmanJim.com, formerly PSUTixman.com, has been running his ticket exchange in Wilmington, Delaware for over 25 years. Every buyer is handled with courtesy, respect, and every ticket purchase is guaranteed. Proceeds are used to fund the PSU AA Chapter Scholarship Fund and the PSU Levi Lamb Fund for athletic scholarships. Get your home opener, like I just talked about, the Ohio U tickets, Ohio State Stripeout, or Minnesota Homecoming Whiteout game tickets now. Go to www.ticksmanjim.com or email jim at ticksman 
at gmail.com. Call 302-521-8380. You can see, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see at the bottom of the screen, ticksmangym.com. That's where you go. Or I'll give it to you again, 302-521-8380, so that you can go to the games that we are talking about here. So, Greg, let's get to our next question. Find out what we're looking at. I got. Come on, Jim. Gave you your good. We're good. Let's go. Okay. For the glory, PSU asks, given your understanding of Purdue's defense, what are you looking for that would indicate improvement from the offensive line? Great uh, segue from the last question. Besides the obvious statistical milestones, like a 100-yard rusher, for example, I actually don't think a 100-yard rusher would be a, a major indicator of offensive success if you have one guy ripping off an 80-yard run and he did it right. in a situation where the offensive line half of them missed their block and he's just bigger and faster than everybody else and he, he runs for a touchdown. So yeah, I don't think statistical milestones are really a, a great spot. Is there anything you're looking for that's going to pass your eye test, Greg, to know that this is a better offensive line? Yeah, I think, well, number one, obviously, when you talk about the statistical side of things, and Jay Juan Sider actually talked about this a little bit following practice on Tuesday, but number one, so they, and he didn't talk about this, so I'll get to that part here in a sec, but, you know, the 100-yard rusher thing is something that's been harped on all offseason, and with a good reason. I mean, this day and age, with the way the football has moved around and the way you go up and down the field, I mean, it seems just incredible to continue to say that Penn State did not have one of those in a single game last year, but to your point, T. Frank, you're right, I mean, if uh, Kevon Lee or Nick Singleton or Katron Allen or Devin Ford takes one around the edge and goes 85 yards for a touchdown uh, and Penn State ends up with 110 yards rushing, you know, is that really uh, the milestone that everyone thinks it is? And of course, I think we'll all agree that the answer to that is no. So to me, I mean, look, obviously, first things first, is it you're going to keep an eye on the sack and the pressure numbers and see what kind of time Sean Clifford has to work? You know, does he endlessly have to avoid pressure can he get into second and third reads which sometimes that's mm -hmm. on him not the offensive line but still uh you know will he have time to do that you know I think it's more about the eye test than the numbers for me because if Penn State yeah. wins it's we're not going to be sitting here picking apart the offensive line I don't think I mean it's possible but you know more likely than not maybe later maybe a little you know maybe in the middle of the week leading up to Ohio we would get to that if it was warranted yeah. but you know, again, the, the it's the same it's the same old saying, but winning kind of can mask your problems and losing might make them worse than they seem to be. But to me, it's all about the eye test. And does this group work together as a unit? Does it allow Sean Clifford to do the things in this offense he couldn't do last year? And then does it open up holes? Can they get third and two when the other team yeah. knows they're running and, and you know, the, everyone in the stadium knows they're running, you know? Uh, fourth and one or first and goal from the five, you know, can they impose their will? That's been the issue. Let's be honest in a lot of ways, in a lot of games, can they impose their will? And we all know what it looks like and you'll know it when you see it, if you see it. And to me, that would go a long way. I think in, in shoring up some of the concerns some people might have about where this unit is for yet another off season. Yeah. The, the funny thing is like, I love the advanced metrics. I love the data I love, but it comes down to in this situation, if you're watching the game, it's a, it is about the eyeball test, right? So you'll see when the offensive line resets the line of scrimmage. And that's something Penn State has not been able to do in a while is they have not been able to actually get a tangible momentous push. The other thing I want to see is I want to see cleanly executed blocks at the second level, because that means two things. The first is, and this is the most important, you got the double team. So the the way almost all offensive blocking works is, and, and this is the problem with generalities, is that sometimes you don't have a double team. But for the most part, inside zone, man, like they all have some sort of double team at the line of scrimmage. Two guys blocking one who then work to the second level and then pick up a linebacker or a safety. And that is based on a lot of factors. And to cut through all of that, just get the factors right if you're the offensive line. That means you got the double team and the right person climbed to the second level to get the linebacker to secure a good running lane for the running back. Now, if the running back then doesn't create something out of that, then we have that conversation. But watching a clean second level block, first off, that means a big play should be coming. And secondly, that is a good indication that it's actually working. 
Uh, and then you can get into the details and the nuances afterwards of, you know, did they secure the double team? And after the guy left, did he get to the second level? You know, how did they get at the point of attack? What was the, all that stuff. But just the, the eyeball test of there's a, there's a guard at the second level blocking a linebacker. That's what's supposed to happen here. I think that's a, a good indication that things are going well for the offensive line in the running game in particular. I think that's kind of the, the, uh, the situation that we want to start with there. And let's start with this question here, actually. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, meet you at the gaff. Greg, were you a gaff guy? Occasionally, yeah. Not as yeah. much as some other places in state college, but occasionally, yes. Yeah, I, I, I had friends that loved there. We went there a couple times, but there, it, everyone always had their bar, right? Everyone had their their favorite bar. Unfortunately, all of my favorite bars were torn down in the last five years. <laughs> yeah, I miss okay. the old Skeller. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so the question. Uh, and by the way, welcome to Meet Chat the Gaff. He is a new member at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. He got that $1 deal. He got on here, and he got his question on the da- on the daily. Great job. Okay, apologize if this has been an article that was written and is already something that we've talked about. Considering his four years of coaching defensive backs at Purdue, one could argue a that a very few know more about the Purdue passing offense than Anthony Poindexter, safety's coach for Penn State. How much of an impact do you think that this will have on PSU's game plan and game day adjustments? In the past, NFL teams would do something like this with a player that was just cut, presumably to get an edge on the upcoming game and info to decipher watching tape. Is this an aspect of the game that's overrated or underrated, or is it just depends? And it's all like, I'm always going to go with it just depends, Greg. Like, we got the out there of it just depends. But what do you think in terms of uh, Anthony Poindexter having insight into the Purdue passing attack? Yeah, I always appreciate the out or the crutch opportunity, T. Frank, instead of having to create it for ourselves, it's given to us, which is always nice. But no, in all seriousness, I mean, look, it can't hurt. But I mean, Penn State's been watching film of Jeff Brom and Purdue, whether it was against Penn State or against other Big Ten teams for years now. So does he add an insight that Anthony Poindexter can provide by working with Jeff Brom and Purdue uh, during the time that he did help, I can't hurt. I mean, the more information you have, the better. That's always going to be the case. That's why there's, you know, uh, if you can have 20 analysts instead of 10, you're going to do it. And it's because you can find more things out and research more things and watch more tape. And so when you have someone with that institutional knowledge, you obviously can probably cut through some things or figure some things out that you see on tape that maybe you don't know. So it doesn't hurt. I don't think there's any question about that. I'd be careful to overstate its importance, though. And obviously, uh, Anthony Poindexter probably knows much more about the way Jeff Brown likes to operate on both sides of the ball. So it could help in both ways. But I'd be careful to overstate the importance of it. All of these schemes are tweaked and changed and Things that were uh, the word I'm looking for here is a tendency uh, a year yeah. before probably isn't going to be the next year. Some of your bread and butter stuff is obviously going to be. But guess what? That's all on film. and Anyone watching it can see it. So it can hurt. Again, the more hands on deck you have, whether it's coaches who have a familiarity with a opponent school and coach or whether it's just more people in the building, which Penn State has this year, watching tape, doing advanced scouting and things like that the better off you're going to be. But I thought James Franklin made a good point on Tuesday night, T. Frank, when he said, you know, look, um, you know, Purdue has had some junior college or I'm sorry, not junior college, uh, transfer portal guys come in and things like that. So even the film you saw last year is probably not overly as helpful as you might think. Some of it is, of course, some of the schemes and everything else. But, you know, you're still going to be learning about some of those guys, just like they'll be learning about some of Penn State guys like, you know, a, uh, a Nick Singleton or a Parker Washington in a, in a big role or Mitchell Tinsley and how he fits yep. this offense or Chop Robinson and how he fits this Penn State defense and not linebacker. So both sides have plenty to learn and they're going to use all the resources they can to uh, do it before kickoff. Yeah, and I think it's important you pointed out there is a certain tendency you might have, but Penn State has no idea what Purdue is trying to do 
against them. You know, we talked about this with, with Sean Clifford of you've got your base plays you're going to install at the beginning of the year, and those are the, the core of your offense. And maybe those don't change radically game to game, but what you emphasize in that game, that does. You know, so what percentage of your base plays are you trying to run uh, in, in anticipation of that, right? In anticipation of what the opponent is going to do to you. So Anthony Poindexter, he may know stuff about the offense, but he doesn't know what... Brom wants to do against Manny Diaz's defense. And maybe he has some insight, and that's where I think that can help. But it is very much about that week. What are you trying to do that week? People, another question somebody asked me um, earlier this week at the, the Lions Den message forum was, do you think Purdue's going to throw underneath and short passes? Maybe, you know, if they fear Penn State's pass rush then yes, they would try to do that. Jeff Brom is a good offensive coordinator. He will do what he needs to do, attack the weakness he believes exists. So if he thinks the Penn State linebackers are a weakness in coverage, you don't have to run crossers underneath. You can run deep crossers behind them, and that's a more effective way. But if you don't trust your offensive line to pass protect, then yeah, you might go with something short. But last year, the, the thing, and I said this in our preview, and I'll say this next week, Purdue... I think with Brom and with O'Connell at quarterback, at their core, they are aggressive. They want to throw the ball down the field. That's what made him di different. That Somebody called uh, O'Connell the second best quarterback in the Big Ten. And I think from a production standpoint, purely from what he did last year and not from a talent perspective, I think that's a fair assessment that he was that guy. He threw a lot of balls down the field into the tight windows. He was a big-time play machine, and they're going to want to do that. That's what they're going to want to do. Can they do that? What's the game plan? That's going to be the question, I think. And a follow-up yeah, here. Do they have the receivers to do it? It's the other question. I mean, they're exactly. not exactly as good there as they were in the past. So, yeah, no question that plays a role as well. And I want to follow up quickly with Navy Blue. He asks in a similar vein, what about Cole Brevard from Penn State going to Purdue? Does that help the Boilermakers with some inside knowledge? I, 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 that's, a, that's a harder one to really get on board with. You know, From a defensive perspective, what he would be most aware of, the defensive scheme has changed. The, the coordinator right. has changed. From an offensive perspective, I, I don't know how much insight he would have into the offensive line or the scheme there and... He was only was he here last year? Is he yeah. or did he transfer the year before? Uh, he transferred after the past season, but yeah, okay. I, I mean, I, I don't. I'd be stunned if there was any amount of information that 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 gave Purdue any kind of advantage. But at the same time, again, it goes back. The point's still the same. Whether it's a lot from Anthony Poindexter or a lot from Cole Brevard or as little as nothing, um, you still, the more ideas you have, the better. And obviously, Poindexter is going to sit in a lot more meetings and make a lot more decisions than Cole Brevard, who's trying to fight for playing time and learn to Purdue yeah. uh, a defensive scheme and how they are supposed to play defensive line there and all that. But, you know, again, any morsel can help. It's a game of inches, as we all know, uh, for those of us that like cliche. And so, you know, if you find something that works, you're going to use it. But, you know, again, the, the, the other factor is that that morsel may be wrong. And then that leaves you in a worse spot than you would have been before. So, yeah, no, I, I would not think either side of that is going to make a big deal in this matchup. It's the BWI Daily Edition Mailbag Show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Greg Pickle here with us answering your questions about Penn State football. Uh, we don't do just football. Like, I know that you know, this being my show, that's 90% of what we, uh, what we focus on. But by the way, in the future, you know, Greg's on the show. Nate's on the show. Basketball is a big deal. Uh, any of that stuff, if you want to ask those questions, feel free. I know that recruiting and, and football is my thing, but we have a lot of experts here that can answer your questions. Uh, one thing I do want to get to, though, is shockingly more football, Greg. Yesterday, James Franklin spoke with the media, and I just, a quick aside from the questions, take a break from that uh, here about halfway through the show. Do you have any thoughts of some of the things James Franklin talked about yesterday and some of the taking the, the points you took away from his meeting with the media to close out training camp? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, it's just time for action, right? I mean, it's time for the games to begin. I mean, we've heard a lot this this preseason, whether it was during spring practice over the summer or in this month of August about, again, the young players who they think can play and that they have more depth at a number of positions, but they still are trying to figure some things out. You know, I, I think we still go into 
uh, the season here without knowing a ton about the special teams other than the names and the faces that we're going to see out there. So uh, that wasn't discussed. That's not what you're asking. But to me, that's one thing that's kind of left out there still. But in terms of what James Franklin talked about, you know, we hit on some pretty familiar topics with him. Obviously, we talked earlier about Sal Warmly, and they feel like he's moving in the right direction. They really like the progress PJ Mustafer has made. Uh, he was asked to talk about the Purdue stuff that we mentioned earlier with them having some new players in and all of that. So, I mean, I thought it was a pretty typical uh, media session for this time of year, T. Frank. I mean, we've had the opportunity to talk to him uh, a number of times over the last, what, four weeks, three and a half weeks. So plus the uh, time yeah. we spent with him at Big Ten Media Days. So, I mean, I think a lot of what has been asked and answered was covered by the time he, he stood in front of us for about 14, yeah. 15 minutes yesterday. So, you know, safety is still a spot. They're trying to figure out exactly, I think, who, who how many guys they want to play there and offensive lines and other ones. So, I mean, we're going to find out these answers soon enough. But at this point, you know, it's full steam ahead to Purdue. And I think it had kind of had that vibe to it yesterday, or uh, sorry, on Tuesday as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I always find it interesting. It, it's very convenient that uh, James Franklin hasn't had the conversations of who won camp battles <laughs> right. before he's talked to us that final week. It's always, oh, we're doing that after this. And like, I, I don't I don't doubt that it's in the correct timeline. It's just always interesting how we come first and then he does those things. So cagey move by the veteran James Franklin to not answer the question. Um Chop Robinson, this is from NLE24. Chop Robinson, a very interesting player. Guy who could be a linebacker or a defensive end. With lack of linebacker depth, you see Diaz using him as a linebacker, thinking how Alabama seems to have 250-pound linebackers. Greg, this dips into the conversation once again about, um, I think, misinformation or misconception about football. So can you take us away? I'm going to actually try and do something here on the show to yep. illustrate the miscommunication misconception here. So take us away while I get some stuff ready over here. Yeah. So, I mean, my biggest thought T Frank would just be that Penn state's not going to move top Robinson, who has been training to be a defensive end since he got here to, uh, you know, to a different position until they've decided he can't play the one they picked him out at first. And they knew the linebacker depth was what it was. This was no great big secret. Uh, yeah. And I think that, you know, uh, that it's a very important factor in this whole thing is that, you know, Penn State knew what it had at defensive end and knew what it had as linebacker. And it feels like he is the best option for them. Uh, we, yeah. The best option for him and them is at defensive end. And while you pull this up, I'll just note this. Uh, Tyrese Mills is another thing that we talked about yesterday with him playing linebacker. Now, Nate reported that previously, but he comes in as a safety. They move him there because they feel like it's the best spot for him. And so, you know, all these things are decided long before we get to this point. Yeah. And uh, I'll let you uh, I'll let you show what you're going to show here. I'm pretty sure I know where you're going with this. I'll, I won't steal your thunder, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say here. Yep. Uh, so first off, last week, James Franklin admitted straight up he's a four three defensive end. So Chop Robinson's playing defensive end. There's no conversation about him playing linebacker. That that right. is that's not a thing. Um, here's the other thing. To me, there is no difference between a 4-3 defensive end and a 3-4 outside linebacker. And I understand that there is a difference. But here's what I'm talking about. When we're, when we're discussing Tyrese Mills and Jonathan Sutherland at linebacker, it's because their responsibilities are that of a Sam linebacker. It's not about their body type. It's not about their size. It's about what are you asking them to do regularly on the football field. Alabama has one linebacker that is 250 pounds. It's freshman Jeremiah Alexander, 6'2", 258. The rest of these linebackers, Greg, uh, just look at this here. 6'3", 225. 6'4", 243. 6'2", 225. 6'5", Just down the list. 235, 220, 233, 240. There is this idea that because they're wearing that Alabama jersey, that these players are 250 pounds and they run a 4-5 and it's just across the board. And that's incorrect. The second thing is, do you notice how many linebackers there are here? Because right. Alabama lists their outside linebackers, their edge rushers. And this is why I think this is a, a better way of doing this. Calling them edge rushers as opposed to off-ball linebackers because it describes the job they're doing. They list them all as linebackers here. So there's a there's an excessive number of them on the on the thing on on their right. roster. And you look down here, 
Then all the D linemen, 278, 292, 370, 305. So this is where you have your defensive linemen, right? So there is this, there, there's a there's a multi-level misunderstanding here. The first is that all linebackers are linebackers, right? And that's not the case anymore. There are hybrid type players. None of these linebackers, none of these, by the way, none of these edge rushers are prototypical sized. None of these are 255, 260. So, and I don't know, I'm not an expert on Alabama scheme, truthfully, to tell you who's playing well. I know that Will Anderson is the, the headliner there. Uh, and he's 243 pounds, I think it was, or 245, something like that. So he's technically smaller than Adisa Isaac as far as his height and weight on the roster. So Chop Robinson at 244 is absolutely a defense event. Secondarily, I know what I just said about their jobs and their skills, but now we're going to get into the body type conversation about linebacker, Sam linebacker, edge defender. Penn State is playing every body type that has a linebacker body type in the box at one of two positions. So Keon Wiley is a middle linebacker. Tyler Elsden, Kobe King, those are middle linebackers. You have Jamari Budden. You have um, Curtis Jacobs, the starter. And you have Abdul Carter at the will. So they're three deep at those positions. That's not a lack of depth. They are not lacking depth at linebacker. They've taken safety body types and they've played them at the Sam linebacker. So you've got a safety body type. That's where you're pulling those players from. So it, this is a couple of different things from a couple of different buckets of football isms to say that absolutely not chop Robinson is not a linebacker. I don't think they're la lacking linebacker depth. What they are lacking it, for Penn State fans is the scheme that Penn State fans want them to play, which is to have three traditional linebackers on the field, which again, if you look at Alabama, they don't, what they have is they have five star defensive tackles and they play three of them. And then everyone else is 235, 245. They run, they hit, they chase, they tackle. And you got big guys up front that are difference makers. And that's truthfully, I think the difference where Penn State doesn't have that of that traditional size. Yeah, I couldn't say it any better myself, T. Frank. You hit the nail right on the head on that particular topic, and that's why we talk about recruiting so much. Because you, if you get those guys, you can do maybe some different things. But uh, yeah. you know, that's not that it's something that's very rare, uh, especially to stockpile with the way that a place like Alabama does, and that's why they've won as much as they won. Yeah, yeah, and this is another just another tangent of the SEC and size at linebacker. Um, the I forget his name right now, but the linebacker that won the Buckus Award last year was 235 at, at middle linebacker. So, and he was from Georgia. Linebackers are now this size. This is something that I think Penn State fans have to understand and have to come to terms with that even the best players in college football at the best universities that are winning regularly, they're not, they don't have 255 pound slobber knocking middle linebackers. Some of the every once in a while, you got a throwback guy that's good enough that gets in there and he plays because he does two or three things so well and you can overcome what he doesn't do well. But for the most part, everyone's playing coverage football. They're playing with an emphasis on that. Sykim asks, did not see JB Nelson, the uh, offensive lineman transfer on the depth chart that we released recently at bluewhiteillustrated.com. Sign up for a dollar. You can get Greg and uh, Nate's insight on that, the depth chart that we put out recently. Do you believe he has the potential but needs an extra year of coaching and a high-level strength and conditioning program? Greg, uh, what's the situation that you see with J.B. Nelson? Well, yeah, I think they've talked about him a little bit, especially back in July. Late July, his name came up. And, you know, I, we've talked about this before, but there's not many offensive linemen who can come in and be ready year one. Now that doesn't matter if they're a high school guy or a junior college transfer, maybe the junior college transfer is a little bit further along, maybe not, but yeah, I just don't look at at, at this situation and say, Oh no, the fact that he may not be on a two deep or a three deep or what have you is the end of the world. I, I think that we've heard some positive things about him so far and that he will eventually find his way into a better spot on the depth chart. But I do just think T Frank, he needs a little bit more time. Uh, to get to a point where that's the case. So uh, I would not would not see any reason for any kind of panic or anything like that at this yeah. point. 
Yeah, and he is practicing, by the way. So he is a part of the team. Right. We've seen him performing. Um, uh, he is at guard. You know, it, that I want to clarify. He is a guard for Penn State. He's been a guard both in the spring and uh, here in fall camp. But there, if there's one place they do have depth, it's on the interior. So if he's not ready, you don't have to force him into the lineup just yet. Right. Um, and to the second part, please keep the interviews coming. We'll be working on that. I'll see if Nate wants to uh, get his buddy Pat Kraft on the line and get him on the BWI Daily Edition. Greg, that shouldn't be a problem at all, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe one day, T. Frank. But as we head into this busy time of year, it's it's a uh, you know it's always hard to line those up. Much harder than you would think. But no, I'll say this about Pat Kraft, just to kind of put a uh, bow on this particular uh, question, uh, and thank you for it. But. You know, his priorities, I think he's kind of made them clear. It's it's in NIL, it's in facilities. I mean, I know this is all very vague, but, you know, NIL's at the top of his list and getting some of these facilities in order are at the top of his list. And, you know, I think you can bring in a new person and they can run the department the way they've run other successful ones before them. But to the point here, yeah, Rome wasn't built in a day. And some of this stuff takes time. And if you go back and look at everything we had on Pat Craft from Big Ten Media Days in uh, the end of July – or if you go look at Nate's story about his first was it, week on the job, I believe, or the day he yeah. started, I, I think, um, you know, he has a lot of big ideas. And there are a lot of things that will help Penn State be better in the short term and the long term. But they're not going to happen overnight. Yeah. And the the what comes Some to mind can, is not most. Yeah. 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 What comes to mind, too, is like if you want a press release, like you want a lot of us want news, right? We want to hear something's going to happen, but can you get something together tangible to get an actual shovel into the dirt for facilities or actually arrange something um, in the amount of time when you've got the news of this is going to happen. And does it matter if you know about it until it actually happens? You know what I mean? Like the disconnect between here's all the things we want to do. Here's a press release, but then it's still going to be six to eight months before anything happens because that's kind of how things happen every once in a while. And I, I think that from what I understand and the vibe I get is like, we'll find out when things are happening from Pat Craft. Right. Yep. I agree with that. All right. Sam Squanch, Steve. Sorry. I have a hard time with some of, some of your, your handles on, on the message board. And I, I'm not like my default is to like joke about it. And it's not about you. It's about me reading them. Sam Squatch. I, Squanch, Steve, doesn't matter. Uh, do you believe Penn State will have more rushing or passing touchdowns versus Purdue? Greg, your thoughts here. I would say passing only because that secondary is not very good as far as I'm concerned. I just I remember looking at them a little bit in detail. You've done so more extensively, of course, but I just wasn't impressed with that secondary. Now, look. Do I think Penn State's going to try like heck to emphasize the running game and make that look as good as possible? And could that lead to them having more rushing touchdowns in this game? Yeah, it could. Um, yeah. But do I just think that looking at it just on paper uh, and hearing all we've heard about Sean Clifford in the offense and everything else, uh, I'm inclined to go with passing at this point in time. What are the odds? Do you have? Do you have a? Is how how did how would that work? Is there an over under? Do you have to bet a line on that for for rushing or passing touchdowns? Yeah, we would just have to set it. I mean, look, I think I'd probably make it, uh, you know, a very short favorite on the passing because it's random, right? I mean, yeah. you could throw it 99 yards and get tackled yep. at the one and then sneak it and there's your rushing touchdown. Or conversely, yep. uh, you could run it 99 yards and then throw a bubble screen and score on a walk-in touchdown and there's your passing touchdown. So, I mean, it's totally random, but... I just think that there's going to be opportunities for Penn State to stretch the field vertically and to get some of these guys into space uh, in the passing game and, and in the running game, but definitely in the passing game as well. Yeah, and this is where James Franklin was hinting at when he said on Tuesday about uh, they've had so many players in the transfer portal come in for Purdue that it's kind of like getting Juco players over the summer and you don't really know what to expect or to prepare for. Reese Taylor coming from Indiana – in their scheme last year, they like to run a lot of a certain coverage and he fits that well. So are they going to run that? How is he going to perform in that? Cause you can't really, you can't really base his performance off what he did at Indiana because they might use him totally differently. Right. Um, they don't have Karloftis, but they do have a guy, um, Scotty Humpich from Murray state. Now, what do you do with Murray state? And a guy, by the way, that I think was injured throughout it, it like week three or week four of the season. So there's not a ton of film on him. 
how do you project what that guy is going to do versus what Karloftis did and how that defense operated last year based on it was built from the front back. Right. It was Karloftis in the D line. And then they kind of like that was the engine that made everything go. So how do you prepare knowing that there are so many wild cards? The other guy that they got from uh, I think it was Alcorn or something a state. I don't remember. It was a place I had not heard of before. So how do you figure any of that stuff and how do you prepare for that? That's where when it comes to projecting the secondary, I'm with you. I think that that's a lot of turnover and not every transfer is going to hit. Somebody's right. not going to be as good as they wanted them to be. And they were very weak at corner last year. So that would be a presumed weakness. I would still have going in if I'm Penn state. And I think something you could take advantage of just a couple more questions here on the daily super efficient mailbag show. Greg, a plus for efficiency, my guy. Slab Town asks, gets right to the heart of it. I don't care about your scheme, T. Frank. I don't care about what you've got to say. Do we beat Purdue? He asks. So, does Penn State beat Purdue? I'm presuming yes. Uh, is that a fair assumption to say you think the same thing? It is. Yeah, Penn State's a short favorite. I think that you know, of course, they go into the season. Penn State goes into the season with question marks that. Uh, if they're not answered in the way we think they're going to be answered, it could be a tough day at Purdue. But I just look at this game on paper, and I get that Purdue has the home advantage, and I get that they have some uh, you know players on both sides of the ball who can be game wreckers. But yeah, I just look across the board, and I have a very hard time seeing Penn State losing this game. T Frank, I do. Do I think it's going to be a blowout? I'm not willing to go that far yet but yeah uh, we've seen Penn State go into some Big Ten opponents that are not Michigan Penn Ohio State and Michigan State of course uh, and and be able to put on a pretty pretty darn good show I think this team is hungry from last season of course Purdue is as well but yeah I I, if I was if I was forced to make a pick today I, I would probably have it like 27 17 in favor of Penn State, maybe 27 20, something like that. I mean, I do have some concerns about how the Brahm and O'Connell show can maybe take advantage of this defense a little bit if things aren't yeah. as we expect them to be in the front seven. But I mean, all told, I just on paper, when I did a, a deeper dive and then I listened to what you had to say about both sides of the ball and, and just kind of looked at this Purdue team. I just I don't see I see a town edge for Penn State that's going to have to be overcome by uh, Purdue taking advantage of any Penn State mistakes. And I know that special teams could be an issue for Penn State this year, uh, or at least it's something we have to learn more about actually how it works on the field, because we're still not terribly sure how some of these guys will perform. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the there's I don't see any other way to answer the question, but yes. Yeah. So Purdue's a sexy underdog. Right, Greg, because they've got this track record of being a sexy underdog because of the things that they've done in the past. And I was speaking to one of our co-workers about this, and he he's an Ohio State guy. And, you know, we were talking about the opening game. He's like, ah, you know, you don't want to go in there uh, because they they can upset you in those games. Those blackouts are are, you know, an impressive place to be. And if you're not, they beat Ohio State. Right. Basically is what happened. Right. So I'm pulling up. The difference is they had Rondale Moore, and that's right. a huge difference. Is they had a a known four high four or five star receiver that chose to go to Purdue. And I don't want to make this all about one player, but I'm going to make this all about one player uh, against Ohio State. His coming out party: eighteen targets, twelve receptions, one hundred and seventy yards, two touchdowns, and uh, how many broken tackles here? I need to find that because he broke about a thousand of them during that game. Um, it was impressive. Seven well, broken tackles. Seven. Yeah I, gonna, yeah, I mean, while you look, I, I, that's, the, that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Like, who's the Karloftis on this team? Who's the Rondell yep. Moore on this team? I mean, they have some other, you know, the very good players as well. But uh, I just don't see one. And, of course, you know, if you're covering uh, – if you're a Purdue fan or you cover uh, Purdue and you're looking at Penn State – you know, you're hearing the buzz about Nick Singleton and you might know a little bit about Parker Washington. And obviously, I think everyone knows Jair Brown and Joey Porter Jr. But, yeah. you know, so you're sitting there and you're saying, OK, they have those guys. And, uh, you know, when you look at Purdue, you just say, well, who are those guys uh, on this year's team? And they just don't jump off the paper at you. I, yeah. I don't know who when you if you were ranking, which I'm sure Penn State has done. 
uh, the players who could be game wreckers against you on this Purdue team. I, I just don't know if there's a dead obvious place to to start. There probably is, but yeah. just off the top of my head, I don't think so. They've got a lot of good receivers, but you know, there's no yeah. Rondale Moore. I don't know. I don't know what to do with Tyrone Tracy. Like I don't, you know, coming right. over from Iowa, I, eh, you know. I mean, Charlie Jones is a really, really, really good, um, you know, special teamer from Iowa. But I think they're going to use him more in a in a pass catching role, which he didn't really yeah. do at Iowa. So, I mean, does he become that guy? Maybe I don't know, but. Yeah, uh, it's very much in a wait and see mode with them for sure. They they were and again going back to Aiden O'Connell and making it about one player. The one wild card here is is O'Connell, and right. really, and it's comparative to Sean Clifford because if Penn State gets quality play from Sean Clifford, I don't see this as a competition. But if they get great play from O'Connell and they get substandard play from Penn State. That's where we have this. That's where this is a game. That's where this is a tight right. game. And I said this with Nate on the show a couple weeks ago. Purdue had elite quarterback production last year, and they finished, I think, a game or two ahead of Penn State. And Penn State had the opposite of that. So, you know, going in healthy, all those things, I think Penn State has to be considered the favorite. Joey asks, can you explain why Lee... Kevon Lee would start at running back if he's not the best option at running back. Not saying specifically from us here, but the idea of starting a true freshman on the road at night. What is the difference in first or second series? I don't get it. So, Greg, do you have an answer to Joey's question about what's the difference between a starter and a guy who's going to play serious snaps but not be the guy that's out first? Well, I mean, he just has to earn the job. I mean, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to, whether it's Nick Singleton, whether it's Katron Allen, whether it's Devin Ford. I mean, some, like, so it's so easy to overlook Kevon Lee because of everything mm-hmm. that uh, Penn State brought in at this position. But, I mean, Jaylon Sider claims that his speed has improved this offseason, that Chuck Losey trained some things about – or changed some things, rather, about the way they were training him, and that made a huge difference. And. I mean, look, we'll see. I mean, I, I think we all expect Nick Singleton and Catron Allen and maybe a little Devin Ford to be in the mix here. But I think we are maybe doing Penn State, a, you know, Penn State's offense a disservice by just ruling out Kevon Lee, which is I'm not saying we're doing it, but I think a lot of people are. And, you know, if one of those two guys had earned a starting job and maybe one of them will by the time they take the first snap at uh, Purdue, then then that would be what, you know, then, then we'd be where we are. But you know, Penn State brought Saquon Barkley along. I think back to what James Franklin said a few weeks ago where he said, you know, look, uh, sometimes freshmen need a few weeks to actually be ready to do that. And Saquon yep. Barkley was a good example of that. So maybe Keevon Lee finds himself in that position. Maybe he doesn't because maybe he's the best combination of route running, blocking, and running that they have yep. for at least like the first month, month and a half. Maybe not. I mean, Jalen Sider is pretty clear that – both freshmen are kind of old-timer guys in the way that they're willing to eat blocks and things like that. But, you know, Kevon Lee might still be ahead of him in that regard, too. So I just think that, you know, when you put it all together, yeah, those guys are going to play. But when you're breaking out your reps, uh, you're also going to put a guy on the field that can maybe do a little bit of everything at a higher level than the other guys, even if one of them can do one thing or two things at a higher level than uh, that guy can. So time yeah. will tell, T. Frank, but – uh, again, I wouldn't get too worked up about who starts, who's number two, who's number three. Jalen Slater was actually asked that on Tuesday. Like, should we read too much or anything really into who's the starter? And, you know, I can't remember exactly what his answer was. I don't want to paraphrase it in uh, incorrectly. But my takeaway from listening to him was just kind of like, no, not really. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, all those guys are – I think they're going to play – I don't know if they'll play all four of them every single game. That seems like it could be yeah. a little bit challenging. But I think you're going to see three of them. And – Whoever starts will probably get more reps than the other guy, but that's not always been the case. So yeah, uh, time will tell there, but it's not something, again, I think if fans need to get overly worked up about who gets carried number one. I have a feeling, and I could be wrong about this, but I just have a feeling that Devin Ford is going to have a specific role in the offense. And I don't know whether he's a running back purely or whether he's a guy that does a little bit of everything. I just look at his size and it's so much different than the rest of the guys. And I look at his skill set and what he might be that I, you know, I think you're right in terms of you're not going to see all four of them get carries, but let me reverse the question um, and start with this premise. And I think you just laid it out pretty easily. 
Nick Singleton, and I'm going to use him specifically with respect to Catron Allen, because Nick Singleton and what we talked about of the speed and the burst and all that stuff, of that's something Penn State needed, and he obviously has lots of that. So is Nick Singleton clearly better than Kevon Lee? Is he demonstrably better? And are you starting Kevon Lee just because he's older? I don't think that's the case here. So what you laid out of all the other things about being a running back, those are all things that that Singleton may need work on, and he may not be as good as Kevon Lee. So the guy that goes out first is the guy that's good at all of those things, and then, you know, then the question becomes kind of what you just said. Does it really matter who's out first? Kind of flipping the question on its head, does it really matter who's out second? If it doesn't right. matter, then why does it matter either way? And, you know, we're kind of in a philosophical rhetorical debate that feels very circular. Uh, David Ray asks, what players are you most interested in seeing when Penn State and Purdue play? And uh, when you watch a game live, do you tend to follow the football on most plays or focus on particular matchups, watching the line, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I'm going to let you go first, Greg, because I obviously have a very long answer about the second part. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll keep mine short and sweet, Dan. I mean, I think uh, I'll make it just very obvious. I'm curious to see on defense uh, what P.J. Mustafer and Adisa Isaac can really do coming off of the injuries that they have and how that can impact this game for Penn State. So to me, that's one and one A. And then on offense, I, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. It's the offensive line as a whole. That's all we ever talk about. And so yeah. those are the picks for me. And then when I'm watching live, T. Frank, it really depends where they are and where we're seated and kind of, you know, do you have to use yeah. binoculars? Can you see far enough? You know, so uh, tend to start with matchups and then work your way out, you know, and, and go from there. So my gut usually or my my first go to, I guess, is probably the better way to put it would be starting along the line somewhere, and then working my way out. Unless you're in a certain part of the field, and you want to watch a one on one matchup with a receiver in corner or something like that. But yeah. uh, it's usually inside out for me. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring that up because you're at the game. You are seeing it live so you can see everything versus most of us. And I imagine Dave, unless he goes to the Penn State games, I don't think he goes to away games as well. So when you're watching on TV, that's a little bit of a different experience. And I'm very frustrated because I wish I wish we got the full all 22 picture of the game, right. but we don't. And that's always very frustrating because one of my favorite things to watch and one of the things that you don't see, the other half of the game that's going on are our coverage, the coverage plays. And that's why I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of emphasis on linebackers and D linemen because they're on the TV the whole time. That's what you see. You think right. those, are the yep. guy, those are the guys making all the plays. You don't see what's going on off screen. Um, so I, you know, I analyze the game here from the broadcast footage and uh, I check out the offensive line first. For a couple of reasons. Well, I should say, if I can if I can see the secondary, I'm watching the safeties to see pre-snap what are what's the quarterback seeing. I don't know what play they're gonna run, but if I have an idea of what the coverage is gonna be, for example, Purdue likes to last year like to run a lot of single high safety, which means they're running either cover three or cover one. Are they gonna rotate to a two high look? Because they will do that. So trying to predict what's coming there, and then from from there. I try to watch the offensive line because that's going to tell you what is happening on the play. Even if it's an RPO, you can kind of get a sense of what's going to happen on the play because it's a run play until it isn't. And then you can just watch the quarterback throw the football. So I'm then trying to figure out what's the blocking scheme as it's happening. How does the defense react to that? And that gives you an idea of what should have happened on the play. And after all that, you've gotten about 30% of what happened because it's impossible right. to watch everything. Uh, so that's it's exhausting. <laughs> so that's that's when uh, when I'm coming on post game and I don't know what to say in the first three minutes is because I just absorbed all of that. And then right. I have to come up with a narrative of, you know, what actually happened just now? How did that go the way it went? Um, so that's that's how I watch football, which is very different than I think a lot of people. Last question today coming from Twitter, Greg. Um, and thank you for for being on the show today. This has been a ton of fun for me. So I hope you've enjoyed this as well. Same here. You guys cover every uh, possible topic before the season, which we have. So throwing out a hypothetical, Greg's favorite. Uh, at some point in the season, if Abdul Carter and uh, Curtis Jacobs are the two best linebackers, is there a scenario where one of them is the Mike? There's a long conversation about what is Abdul Carter this year. He is now a will. Do you think if he's so good and he picks it up, they can play him at Mike, Greg? 
Maybe, but they felt so good about the competition they had between Tyler Elson and Kobe King there, and I just don't, I don't see that happening midseason unless there's an injury or some kind of just so such poor play that they feel there's a need to make a switch. But other than that, T. Frank, I have a hard time seeing that being the case at any point this fall. Yeah, I, it would have to be a special package where those two guys are right. on the field together. That has that is different than one of them is playing Mike. Maybe if you put Curtis Jacobs at Mike and you have Abdul Carter at will because you want to get into a situational package, I think that is something that could happen. So yeah, I think that's a possibility, but it's not a full-time Carter's the Mike and Jacobs is the will and and that's what you're doing. I think it'd be more of a third down thing. And even then, they're going to bring more coverage players on the field. They're not bringing a 240-pound linebacker on the field for a coverage situation, even if he is good and Carter right. you know, is very athletic. Uh, that'll do it today for the daily. So, Greg, thanks for coming on the show. Let's do this again sometime. Always a pleasure, T. Frank. Looking forward to the season and the uh, chats we'll have with everybody about it. And I want to just say, uh, I did not answer the first part of David's question here about what players am I interested in seeing? Because coming up on Friday on the BWI Daily Edition, I'm spending the whole show talking about the four players that I want to see. I'm tired of talking about it, too. I want to see the rubber meet the road. I want to see these four players because I'm just so intrigued by who and what they are, or maybe they aren't. We just, we don't know yet. That's coming up on the BWI Daily Edition on Friday. That's tomorrow. And then a reminder as we get out of here, Greg, the Daily is going primetime. 7 p.m. is our new broadcast time on YouTube next week. Starting 7 p.m. Monday through Thursday, we're going 7, and then a happy hour every Friday at 5 p.m. I don't want to keep you 7 o'clock. you got to go have fun on a Friday night. So 5 p.m. on Fridays. We'll obviously change things for the Purdue game, and we'll keep you up to date on all of that stuff. But just some programming notes on your favorite YouTube channel, Blue White Illustrated. It's the BWI Daily Edition. 